The Start On Demand. On demand. Shocking details were revealed on Thursday as police say the brutal attack at a Winnipeg hospital Wednesday afternoon was just the end of a full day of tragedy as the suspect allegedly killed his mother and father. Facebook and the metaverse? Winnipeg Comic Con is on this weekend at RBC Convention Centre. We speak to local author J.H. Moncrief on her new book, a spooky encounter at Dalnavert Museum and the origins of Halloween. And speaking of Halloween, which movie scared you when you were a kid? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Friday, October 29th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this Friday morning on The Start. And it is Friday, heading into Halloween weekend, so indeed we will be looking to have some fun this morning. But it's uh, we also need to temper that with the shocking news, Loren, that uh, the, up, the developments from that Seven Oaks assault connected to two homicides. Yeah, you know, it was throughout the morning that we start, slowly started to piece together some details as a news organization about what might be possibly coming down at that noon news conference with Winnipeg Police and the RCMP. And so it started off, of course, with us talking yesterday about that assault on a staff member at Seven Oaks Hospital, rushed to hospital in uh, critical condition and, and later upgraded to, you know, stable but critical there was all sorts of things going on with what happened at the hospital and then we learned that this was tied allegedly to two other crime scenes and so there was the rcmp talking about a woman who was killed in new bothwell and then a man uh who was killed on toronto street in winnipeg and all this is connected police say to this suspect who attacked this staff member at seven oaks hospital and so it's just a massive spiraled into what was already a deeply concerning story into what the heck is going on here so of course there's all sorts of questions we don't have the answers to and particularly with so many people asking well why what was behind this what was going on and so that was just a huge shock and of course we were already saying yesterday it was such a heavy day we've been feeling so much concern just over how Manitobans are really struggling right now and we had the WRHA come on yesterday with us at 707 and plead with Manitobans to essentially say we have to remember to stay calm and to to practice our patience when we go to the hospitals and that these workers are doing the best they can because they were just spiraling from the idea that one of their own had been attacked and then you learn there's this uh, huge crime scene that's now being dealt with grave Greg it's really something this province has not seen um, perhaps ever before when it comes to just something that has this many tentacles to it. Yeah, no question about it. And yesterday, uh, you know, if you go back over the text message history at 7806868 from listeners, not lots, not plenty, but several text messengers wondering why Mike Nader, the CEO of the WRHA, didn't seem more forthcoming with regard to information. Well, we can tell you now, in retrospect, it's clear he was unable to share everything uh, because there were more tentacles, there were more situations attached to this one 
thing that happened at Seven Oaks. And Brett, to suggest that this is something we associate with other communities, things that happen here. Of course, we have tragedies, we have crime, uh, gun incidents, we have murders in this city uh, at a rate uh, higher or as high as any city in the country. But we're not used to seeing something like this, multiple scenes connected to one individual, potentially. And at 6.45, we are going to begin a conversation that relates to Halloween because the Couch Potatoes podcast is now available. Jeff Brown and I talked about the movies that scared us when we were kids. So we want to extend that conversation to you, and you can win stuff. We've got celebrations, dinner theater tickets for Night at the Museum of Rock Stars, and we'll give that away at 9.15. But you can start texting us now at 204-780-6868. The movies that scared you when you were kids, and if you've got a story that goes with that, even better. And uh, we'll try to grab some clips from your favorite movies. Greg, would it... Is it would it be pedestrian for me to suggest it's Jaws for you? Oh come on now! I I know I'm predictable, but no, in this instance it is not Jaws. Okay, I have something else for you. It ties to uh, the release date of this movie and when I started babysitting. That's all I'm going to give you at this oh. point. <laughs> okay, interesting. It was not helpful. The babysitters are always killed first in a lot of those old school mm, lady movies. That's true. You, you don't want to be babysitting. You don't want to be at a sleepaway camp. Never go in the outhouse. <laughs> Three sleepaway key camp. lessons of, mur- <laughs> of those horror films of the 80s. Sleepaway <laughs> camp? Did you call it that, Brett? That was one of the, well, that was a movie in that's the 80s. That's one of the movies. Oh, I just mean, you, that's I just the mean, name of a movie? Sleepaway camp? Oh, yeah. Sleepaway oh, camp. Okay. You don't camp. And you also don't run. Just walk slowly because he's not running. He's still going to get you. Save your energy. Yeah, it doesn't matter how quickly you no. run. They, they always catch you. We start this half hour with how police say a brutal attack at a Winnipeg hospital Wednesday afternoon was the end of a full day of tragedy. Global News has confirmed before the violent assault at Seven Oaks Hospital, the suspect allegedly killed his mother and father. His co-workers continue to fight for her life after her colleagues rushed to help her. Global's Brittany Greenslade has more. It was a tragic afternoon that left many people speechless as a man allegedly walked into Winnipeg Seven Oaks Hospital and stabbed a co-worker. It is very unexpected um, considering the hospital is a safe haven. Um, we're still unfolding the motive and the potential reason this, this all did occur. The brazen attack left a woman in her 60s fighting for her life. The horrific assault just one of a trio of attacks. Global News has also learned the man in his 30s is allegedly responsible for killing his parents. The RCMP, along with the Winnipeg Police Service, would like to offer our condolences to the family, friends and colleagues of the victims. What occurred yesterday was a tragedy. The investigation began outside the city in southeastern Manitoba in New Bothwell around 1230 when police went to check on a 73-year-old woman after receiving a call from a concerned friend, but instead found her dead inside the home. An adult male who was known to the victim was identified as a potential suspect and officers began efforts to locate him for further questioning. 
The initial investigation determined that he was in the Winnipeg area. City police were then alerted and began searching the area of Leela and McPhillips when they were quickly rerouted to the hospital for a stabbing around 2.30. There, they found the suspect they'd been searching for. They attended to the hospital really quickly. Um, it appeared that this assault um, had just occurred and clearly there were a number of witnesses and bystanders um, who identified him. But the scope of the investigation wasn't complete. While the man was in custody, RCMP had linked another potential crime scene in the city related to the death of the woman in New Bothwell, a man in his 70s dead in the 300 block of Toronto Street. Police are now left trying to figure out why this all happened. Really, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, it's not often that we have three massive events that are related, so there's a lot to piece together. Global News has confirmed the two victims who were killed were the suspect's parents. Police say the suspect is still undergoing a medical assessment and no charges have been laid yet. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. So, of course, you have the family and friends of this mom and dad uh, family and friends of the suspect. You have communities, a small town. New Bothwell's a very small community. All these people just really trying to figure out what the heck happened here. And then, of course, at the end of, after the mother and father were allegedly attacked, you have the staff at the hospital who had to deal with the attack on one of their coworkers. And they, it sounds by all accounts that they really jumped into action to try and stop the suspect and try to save the life of their colleague. We had uh, a number of staff that uh, jumped the individual, uh, managed to uh, take them off of the individual that was being assaulted. Um, and, uh, and then hospital staff reacted immediately to care for uh, their, their coworker. And this is the part of the story that really just makes me so concern for what went down in terms of questions about how this person got in there if they were carrying a weapon did they have to go through any sort of metal screening you know and then when they get in there you imagine this scenario your job as a nurse doctor whatever your role in the hospital is to help the people coming in and now someone that's come in has allegedly hurt one of your own and i can only imagine how the staff at that hospital are feeling today and will continue to feel in the days ahead greg yeah it'll be interesting and uh, obviously critical to see what changes if any take place at Winnipeg hospitals in terms of security at the main entrances and you have to feel because the you know, doctors and nurses and all the staff at hospitals are already dealing with enough stress enough pressure and then to add you know looking over your shoulder maybe and and looking at people walking in the doors with a with a different lens is is obviously not anything uh, that's you know that they need to add to that that pile of already high level stress Brett you can read more at cjob.com on both the primary investigation as well as how staff at the hospital jumped into action to stop the suspect. Also, globalnews.ca slash Winnipeg. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, Halloween, two days away. The Couch Potatoes podcast now available, and it airs Saturdays at noon, Sundays at 6. And this week we talked about the movies that scared us when we were kids. So we want you to tell us about the movies that scared you when you were a kid. And if you've got a story to share, text us for a chance to win two tickets for Celebrations Dinner Theater's production of Night at the Museum of Rockstars. We'll give that away just after 9.15. And uh, I'll start us off, because I know my dad's listening, Smash Gordon, and I think he'll get a kick out of this. It began in May. 
and every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it happened again. And again. <laughs> I love these cheesy movie trailers. <laughs> From 1985, Stephen King's Silver Bullet. I was eight years old. It's a werewolf movie, and it scared the daylights out of me. And we watched this movie, and I thought it was ready for scary movies. I clearly was not, because I was terrified. So after the movie, we're sitting in the basement. My mom goes around the corner into the laundry room where we had a spare, a spare fridge to grab herself a Coke. And she's in there, and she yells, Ah! So I immediately jump on my dad and cling to him for dear life. She, I'm crying. She comes back out and starts laughing at me. <laughs> and he says, WTF is wrong with you. He's mad at her. She's laughing. I'm crying. And uh, that movie tormented me for years. So good times with Silver Bullet. So there you go. So that's the start of the conversation. Jeff Braun, pick it up from there. Uh, for me, one of the movies that uh, really did some, uh, it permanently scarred me, I think. I, I enjoy the movie as a whole, but it's got a couple of scenes that are just too much for little Jeffrey Braun when they came out. And the movie is Ghostbusters. Gozer the Gozerian. <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> as a duly designated representative of the city, county, and state of New York, <laughs> I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the scary part, obviously. But earlier in the movie, the, the, those, those statued dog monster things uh, come to life, and they get Sigourney Weaver, and one of them comes out of the chair in her living room and uh, just uh, takes her away, and it, that's just scared the daylights out of me. I would also point out this was one of the infamous Braun family movie outings, and I was eight years old when this movie came out, and my little sister was five. And, <laughs> oh, great. Uh, Mom took her screaming from the theater about 10 minutes into the movie, I think, and we had driven to, we were in North Dakota, actually, at a theater watching it, so... My dad's like, well, we're staying and we're going to watch this. And my <laughs> mom and sister just waited in the car for us while we watched the rest of the movie. Is that, uh, the, no day, no only Zool. Is that, is yeah. that right? Yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah. That, uh, I had nightmares for months. Loren, what about you? This is reminding me of when I was a kid and we went to the theater to see The Little Mermaid. And in the original, The Mermaid Dies. And you're like four years old sobbing, like, Mom, why would we come to this? The princess is dead. But anyway, that's that's now just a scary memory because of Braun's story of his sister screaming from the theater. But my pick, they have redone this movie, and I refuse to watch the new one because the original scares me so much. What is this place? I brought you here to Barry Allen's cat. Daddy, it's Judge, all right. Why, Judge? I have no reasons. I dreamed he got hit by a car, and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery. What did we do tonight, Judge? What we did, Lois, was a secret. The cat comes back to life in Pet Cemetery. The Judd guy who takes him to the Pet Cemetery is scary. Then, of course, it just goes downhill from there with burying loved ones left and right. No good. Hated it then, will not watch it again now. Oh, so you you refuse to watch it and the new one? Yeah, I tried to watch the original, and I couldn't do it. And then I thought, well, I'll watch the new one. It's much like the way they redid it. The new one is not scary, so I tried to watch the old one last year. 
super scary. So I'm just done. These these remakes don't convince me. The originals are super scary. Nope. Pet Cemetery. I'm out. Cam. Please, God. This. Uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street, the 1984 oh. uh, version, uh, scared the living daylights out of me when I was a kid. I watched it with my uncle, and he was actively, and I was avoiding scary movies. At the, I love them now, but I was, he was, I was avoiding them like the plague at the time because I was just wasn't, I didn't like them. I was too young, and so he really was. My uncle Mark was really trying to scare the. He was just trying to get me like really, really scared. So, anyways, we stayed the night over at his place, and he put that movie on. And then uh, we went to go to sleep. And, of course, you can't go to sleep because that's when Freddy's going to get you and you're going to be caught in the corner of the room getting stabbed to death. And all of a sudden, I just hear this, like, scraping against the door. He went and got a knife from the kitchen and was scraping it down the door. And he was going, Cam. And it just... I, I was like <laughs> beside myself. Uh, so he made it even worse even after the movie was that's just awesome. heinous. Um, but you know, it's a great. It's actually a really, really good movie. Uh, but yeah, it scared me when I was a kid. Mackling uh, from 1979. It was remade in 2006. Dr. Mandrakis? Oh, yeah, sure. Dr. Mandrakis. Leave me alone! Jill, this is Sergeant Sacker. Listen to me. We've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. Our squad car's going over there right now. All right, my hands are sweaty just listening to that. When a stranger calls, I have no idea when or why I would have seen this movie. There's no way I went to the theater to see it. I guess it must have made its way to television. Just let me tell you this, babysitting was never the same. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, we want to know which... Movie scared you when you were a kid as we head into Halloween weekend. And we have two tickets for Celebrations Dinner Theaters, Night at the Museum of Rock Stars to give away at 9.15 based on your text. Mr. Forte, producer Jeff Forte, didn't have time for you at uh, 6.45. Which movie scared you? Well, actually, when Braun said Ghostbusters, kind of reminded me that <laughs> I used to get scared from Teen Wolf. <laughs> Teen, Teen Wolf used to scare me when I was a kid. <laughs> he turned into a werewolf. That's, that's pretty scary. Come on. <laughs> It's no American <laughs> werewolf in London, Jeff, but yes, Michael J. Fox does turn into a werewolf. I almost said the monkeys from Wizard of Oz and the wheelies, like whatever they were called. The oh, scary those were monkeys. scary. Yeah, and that was a kid's movie. I hear you, Forche. Yeah, well, well, yeah, but that wasn't the one that really got me. Uh... There's not much di- dialogue to this. <laughs> you don't say. Cujo. Oh, yes. Yeah, Cujo. And, you know, I always grew up with dogs, so I was always afraid that uh, our dog would turn on me and, you know, come and get me. So that always freaked me out. Or, you know, I'm always afraid that me and my mom are going to get locked in a 
in a car and something's going to come at us. It, it freaked me out. It really did. Well, hey, Cujo is a scary movie. And Debbie, Greg, uh, gave us a couple. I think we've got time for at least one of them here. I watched Carrie sitting in the first row of the Polo Park Theater. When that hand reached up from the grave, I screamed. I jumped into my boyfriend's lap, cried for the half-hour drive home and didn't sleep properly yeah. for the next <laughs> six months. <laughs> Really? I'm going to have to watch that one again. It's st- it holds up. It's still Does it? it's a creepy movie. It's mm-hmm. just it's you know it's when the movie's done right, it's timeless and Debbie great Texan. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb as we head into Halloween. The Couch Potatoes will assemble in a moment to continue the conversation on the movies that scared us when we were kids. And in our next segment, we are entering the metaverse. Facebook, meta, what? <sighs> so that's we're going to find out more about that in our that's next segment. That's what you're doing, right? That'll make it all better. Let's change the name. <laughs> yeah, that'll make everything go away. A rose. <laughs> By any other name, is still a rose. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, before we bring in Jeff Braun here, Tom has an interesting question, Greg, on the subject of scary movies. Yeah, in the older horror movies, the villain always cuts the phone line so the victim can't call for help. What do they do now? You can't cut the cell phone lines. Do they destroy the local cell <laughs> tower? Or do horror movies only take place outside of cell service? Dang. I have no service. How about you? Seems to me it would be pretty easy to call for help, but maybe that's just me. Thanks, Tom. Tom must live in a luxury neighborhood because you only have to take 10 steps outside of my house and there's no cell service. And I lose (laughs) calls like in 15 different spots on a drive in and around Winnipeg. So all horror movies henceforth will be filmed in the Jason might be listening, Loren. (laughs) Don't say it out loud. And uh, Loren, Eve had a good one here. It doesn't necessarily have to be a scary movie, Right. right? Like a moment that scared you. So Yves says, E.T. scared the bleep out of me as a kid when Elliot discovered him and they started screaming their heads off. I remember being in the theater in St. Pierre and every kid in there was screaming their lungs out. Yes, that's a good scene and it's true. It's like that jump factor. It's not necessarily that the movie is scary. It's just that moment scares the bejeezies out of you, the bleeps out of you. So keep those texts coming for a chance to win two tickets for Celebrations Dinner Theaters Night at the Museum of Rockstars. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. But in the meantime, Mr. Fortier, do you have any special intro for the Couch Potatoes this week? Oh, is this for Greg? (laughs) I'm out. You're welcome, Greg. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. So Jeff Braun is with us once again. And in the last half hour or last hour, we talked, uh, Jeff, you mentioned that Ghostbusters, not the entire movie, but that scene where the, the big dogs come out of the chair uh, scares you and still scares you. But there's another classic uh, that uh, is in your wheelhouse here. Yeah, that music, by the way, that's for like if a goldfish is after you in the water. I think not, not necessarily Jaws. But uh, no, the one I want to talk about now is something I never would have watched when I was a kid, although I did have an obsession with like looking at the, the boxes on the shelf at the video store, but I'd never rent it. And it's uh, the Friday the 13th movies. I've never, I've seen one. I've seen one of them now, but not the first one. No, I've seen part six, which is called Jason Lives. If the institution ever found out about this, they would haul our butts back in and straight check them. Permanent. 
You didn't have to come, Haas. This is between me and Jason. I know, I know, I know. But I still don't get the therapy here. All you need to know is Jason's dead, right? <laughs> Seeing his corpse ain't gonna snap the hallucinations. Seeing it won't, but destroying it will. Jason belongs in hell. I'm gonna see he gets there. <laughs> So these two geniuses go to uh, Jason's <laughs> grave to dig him up, and then lightning strikes the corpse and brings him back to life, and then he spends oh, the sure. next hour and a half stalking around the woods, killing people like he likes to do. And it's, uh, it's as a kid, it would have terrified me, but now, as a grown-up, some of it is pretty gross still, but it's also, it's just in the category of a so bad it's good kind of thing. It's just, it's a good laugh all the way through it, both for the intentional and unintentional comedy. And I th I'm pretty sure it's this one because I know one of the Friday the 13th movies does it. But Jason walks in to the screen at the beginning like James Bond, you know, or James yeah. Bond walks in and, and then points the gun at the camera. Well, James Jason walks in and he turns and he slashes his machete and he slashes the screen open and then blood starts dripping out <laughs> as they do the title screen. Yeah, that, that's a pretty funny movie. I laughed so hard uh, when he's like, because oh, I, I think he stabs Jason in the ground with the. Uh, a spear or something, and then the lightning strikes the spear, and of course he comes back to life. So, uh, but good for you for watching that, Jeff, because I know yeah. you don't like the scary movies. So, no, okay. What prompted you to watch that, by the way? Uh, they're just a podcast that I listen to that uh, makes fun of bad movies. Was doing an episode on it, so I thought I'll give it a shot, and I watched it at about nine o'clock on a Sunday morning, so I could get it out of my head before I went to sleep that night. Okay, uh, so that's Friday the 13th, 6. And then for me, I mentioned uh, Stephen King's Silver Bullet, but my favorite Halloween movie of all time... Welcome to Fright Night. For real. Fright Night, the vampire movie. Do you remember that one, Loren? I've actually not seen that. Okay. I Well, I'm trying to remember now. I'm going to have to look it up. I don't think I have. Did Have you watched it since 1985? Yeah. It's, I watch it. I, I try to watch it every year, but it ends up being every other year. Um, and I, I wonder, like, both of the movies I picked were from 1985. And I guess, yeah, that's because I was eight and thought it was yeah. a big boy. Could watch scary movies. It, this one's a horror comedy. And uh, now I can enjoy the comedy. But as a kid, it scared <laughs> me. But uh, Chris Sarandon as Jerry Dandridge. Uh, for my money, is the coolest vampire ever. And they did remake this movie in 2011, starring Colin Farrell as the vampire, but that was just okay. The original is cool. And if you've got Hollywood Sweet, you can watch both Silver Bullet and Fright Night on demand. So I think mm. that's what I'm going to do tonight, GMAC. I've got a, a text here from Ken I want to share. Uh, my name is Ken. The movie that scared me was on the old CKND late night movie. It was 19. 79. It is now the cult classic Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, yeah. Winslow Leach's Phantom Mask. I remember after the movie was all over, my family went to bed. I just laid down on the floor in the living room, curled up at a ball. And I can't help but uh, think about our uh, now late friend, John Copsey. Uh, over a decade ago, we were on the air on Halloween night and he shared his review, his thoughts on Phantom of the Paradise, which was really a Winnipeg phenomenon. It was in the theater here in Winnipeg for almost a year and the soundtrack sold more copies in this city than it did in the rest of Canada combined, essentially. Really bizarre. Yeah, Winnipeg loves Phantom of the Paradise. 
Uh, so thank you for that text, uh, Ken. And Jeff Braun, thank you very much, sir. Once again, the Couch Potatoes podcast is now up and running, and the show will broadcast on CJOB Saturdays at noon, Sundays at 6. Imagine you put on your glasses or headset and you're instantly in your home space. It has parts of your physical home recreated virtually. It has things that are only possible virtually. And it has an incredibly inspiring view of whatever you find most beautiful. That's the voice of Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg. And the clip you just heard is part of a video the social media giant shared yesterday on its company rebrand. Facebook is changing the name of its holding company to Meta. And in that video... Zuckerberg was trying to show what's next for Facebook. In his own words, Meta is helping to build the metaverse. And uh, editorial comment here, I guess when you've conquered the globe, you have to create your own (laughs) universe or otherwise to conquer. Uh, The metaverse is a place where we'll play and connect in 3D. Hmm. Welcome to the next chapter of Social Connection. I think we're connecting in 3D face-to-face all the time. But anyway, Loren? I watched that video and I didn't know what I was watching, quite frankly, but the idea is that they're rebranding. And this, com- of course, comes as Facebook's trying to deal with a series of public relation crises, particularly those leaked documents that we're referring to as the Facebook pa- papers that are allegedly showing that Facebook puts profits above monitoring its platform for misinformation and hate speech. There's all sorts of reasons why Facebook is in the news for all the wrong reasons. And seconds after the new meta name was announced, Meta, 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 I don't know. It was mocked and chastised with one U.S. Congress member saying no matter what they call themselves, Facebook is a cancer to democracy. That's their words. Brett Carraway is the program director, digital enterprise management at the University of Toronto and joins us now. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. So is this really about the future of social connection or about a name change to try to kind of erase Facebook's past? Listen, after two years of sitting in a Zoom meeting, the last thing I want to do is get into Martin Zuckerberg's virtual reality. This just doesn't sound that pleasant to me. Um, But let let me try and address what's actually happening here. There's uh, a rebranding kind of happens for maybe four. I can think of like four different reasons that that a company would rebrand. The first thing that you might be doing is just shaking up your market share. Um, you want to make yourself look different. Um, maybe think about like Old Spice, how that used to be your grandfather's deodorant, and now it's for hipsters. And maybe Facebook wants to do that. They do have a lot of competitors. There's TikTok, of course, Snapchat, and they're losing some of their important demographic, those teenagers and 20-something people. And then there's this other thing that we're all talking about, which is Facebook's responding to an external crisis of some kind. Um, Think of like the tobacco companies like Philip Morris changing its name to Altria or Blackwater, uh, the mercenary group, changing its name to Academy. Facebook certainly is um, beset on all sides right now because of this senior level employee, the whistleblower that sort of uh, has ended up in front of uh, a lot of (laughs) important regulators that could, you know, have some pretty serious effects on Facebook. So it, it could be that. But, you know, honestly, I'm kind of skeptical that that's, that's what this is really all about. I, I don't think Facebook is dumb enough to think that making a, a really radical announcement like this is going to all of a sudden make the public see them in a positive light, meaning I don't think it's going to help them salvage their reputation. It might change the short-term narrative, but I don't think it's going to get them out of the doghouse. 
What I really think is going on here is that Facebook has been expanding into new markets, and this has been going on for a long time now. Facebook's been making investments to the tune of tens of billions of dollars for years now in VR and AR. Uh, They have thousands of employees that work in their Facebook reality labs. Uh, I think they're moving. They're moving to marketplace essentially, and maybe the announcement, you know, is an attempt to change the sort of short-term narrative. But as much as critics, I think, want to paint Facebook in a in a bad light because of every, everything that's going on, uh, I find this sort of sole reason as the explanation kind of wanting. I think there's more to it than that. But they're not actually changing the name of the the application, right? Like, I'm still going on Facebook. I'm not going to be signing into Meta. That's right. So, like, Alphabet is Google's uh, holding company. And that allows – it's like an internal reorganization of a firm that allows each individual business unit greater accountability and transparency and, and autonomy. So, Google is the search-related service, of course, but there's also Fitbit, which is wearable technology, um, Sidewalk Labs, which is like urban innovation, and all of that's housed under that one holding company. And Facebook is that sort of structure as well. They have other holdings um, like, uh, oh my goodness, I'm I'm blanking on them right now. They have um, Spark AR, which is, is like a alphabet. I'm sorry, Spark AR is like an augmented reality um, design studio. There's Horizon, I think is the name of their new uh, VR stuff. And then, of course, they have Instagram and Oculus. They've got a whole bunch of things. WhatsApp, all kind of under that umbrella. And Instagram, they left alone. It, you know, that for the most part, they they made sure that was an autonomous um, part of their operation that had a lot of independence until more recently they've kind of you know, put their Facebook stamp on it. But I think what they're doing here is just trying to create a, a division of labor within the, the holding company itself. Well, maybe the best comment comes from one of our listeners. Mark Zuckerberg should have just been honest and named it the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for this. Thanks, Brett. We appreciate you uh, joining us this morning. There's lots to think about here. I also wonder if uh, Zuckerberg is the, the right guy to put as the face of the company. I don't know if there's a more unpopular person on the planet right now. That was my initial thought, that they should have gotten someone else to make the announcement. He is uh, sort of the target of all of our collective frustration and anxiety around online social networks right now. Brett Carway, Program Director, Digital Enterprise Management at the University of Toronto. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. 756 on 680 CJOB. I, uh, I got to say, as far as the social medias go... I uh, do most of my stuff on Instagram, a fair amount on Twitter. Facebook, I just can't seem to be bothered with anymore. If I post like one thing in a week, that's a busy week for me on Facebook. I don't know why. I mean, I still like it. And I tried to do the TikToks. I signed, I downloaded TikTok the other day and tried to do one, but uh, there's a, I've got, a, there's a setting that I've screwed up in my camera and it wouldn't like, every time I uploaded a video, it like everything was all sort of wonky. So I got to figure that out. I need to ask a teenager. (laughs) You need to go on Facebook and uh, find a video on how to fix it. (laughs) We got a request for this one. I believe this was from Dylan. 
wants to hear the monster mash. So, because Halloween is coming, and we want you to text us which movies scared you when you were a kid. And Daryl's text message is interesting. He says, in 1970, a movie called Trog came out. I was eight. I can't remember if I saw it in a theater or on TV, but there was one scene where Trog, a thawed-out caveman, <laughs> put a butcher on one of the big meat hooks in his meat cooler. I can still see that scene in my head over 50 years Later, I don't remember much else about the movie, but that scene stuck in my head. And I think of when it comes to scary movies, we all have those moments that we remember. For me, it's American Werewolf in London. There's a scene, uh, he's having a nightmare and he opens his eyes and his mouth and he's got big scary teeth and scary eyes. And that gave me nightmares for months. And I still remember that. And it still scares me, Greg. I have to watch that movie with my kids. It is the first movie we ever watched in my house when we got a VCR. It would have been 1980. 384, 85, around there. And my friend, Ted Patrika, still to this day, whenever I see him, he lives in Calgary now, and whenever we get together, he goes, Mackling, I still can't watch American Werewolf in London. I was looking around corners for a week after I watched that movie at your house. So, <laughs> Teddy, if you're listening uh, over in Calgary, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so keep those texts coming for a chance to win. Uh, tickets for Celebrations Dinner Theaters, Night at the Museum of Rockstars. We'll give those away just after 9.15. And just after 9 o'clock, we have a big concert announcement, and we will have tickets to give away for that as well. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, Provincial Conservative Party members will elect a new leader and new Premier of Manitoba tomorrow. And in theory, it should be simple. There's just two names in the ballot, Heather Stephenson and Shelley Glover. But the process uh, is potentially turning into a bit of a complication. A lot of party members, members chose to make their choice by mail-in ballot. Those ballots are supposed to be in today, but questions have been raised as to whether hundreds, if not thousands of them, ever made their way to the hands of voters who were looking to do that mail-in ballot. And so Steve Lambert of the Canadian Press joins us now to walk us through this. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Let's start with those mail-in votes. Uh, it seems to be a popular thing this year with the pandemic, and we've heard couple different numbers as to how many might still be out there and maybe not potentially getting back in for the count in time. What do we know? Well, uh, yeah, there's different theories out there as to how many uh, how many ballots have not made their hands uh, made their way into the hands of members. Um, it, it, it does seem to be at least a, a several hundred. Uh, the party is trying to do some workarounds, including having places where members can go and pick up ballots. But that could involve a long drive. It's not in every community in Manitoba, so some people in rural areas, uh, if they didn't get their memberships in the mail, might have to drive to a completely different community in a different region of the province uh, to get a ballot, pick it up, and, and fill it out before the deadline this afternoon. Not exactly the way you want to start what's supposed to be sort of a, the next generation of, of Progressive Conservative Party here in Manitoba. So... Is is there a chance this thing gets moved, and and what would ha- have to happen in order for that to take place? Well, I mean, there's always a chance it could get moved. The party has insisted uh, they weren't returning messages late yesterday, but they they had insisted last time I talked to them that it was going ahead and they were going to find a way around it. I mean, theoretically, they could just extend the uh, you know they, they've booked a room to make an announcement on Saturday to to count the ballots and make the announcement. Theoretically, they could just push that back a, a week and then, or two, and give everybody more time to count the uh, ballots. Uh, but 
they'll probably look at how many ballots uh, they got at the end of the day. Uh, there was a surge in memberships. So they're talking about 25,000 members. Uh, by my recollection, the, the party, you know, in between elections and in between membership uh, leadership races uh, usually hovers around eight 9,000 members, maybe a little higher. Uh, so they had 25,000 ballots to get to people. And as you mentioned, because of the pandemic, they can't have a, a large in-person convention. So they, they adopted this mail-in system and they adopted a tight timeline. They, uh, you know, they said you can buy memberships up to September 30th or October 1st, actually. And then uh, the ballots were mailed out after that, once the membership list was finalized. So within a month, you've got to finalize the uh, membership list, mail out the ballots to people across the province, some 25,000, and uh, find a way for everyone to fill out the ballots, uh, get them back in uh, by the end of October. If this does go down tomorrow, how does it work? Uh, well, they count the ballots, and whoever gets the most wins. It's um, you know, it's a it's a two person race, as you mentioned off the top. So, fairly simple. There won't be a, a second ballot or a third ballot. Uh, whoever whoever gets the most ballots wins, and will be sworn in in the coming days as uh, the next premier. Very different process, Steve. Unlike if if people have voted in a leadership contest before there's usually some drama to them because there's more names on the ballot but there's there's zero in-person gathering whatsoever tomorrow at the end of the day yeah i mean there will be some people on hand obviously there'll be uh there'll be the people counting and each campaign team gets to have scrutineers to to sort of watch how uh ballots are counted like any uh, like any election uh so there, there will be some in-person gathering but it won't be that usual sort of hoopla where you get thousands of people in a room um, cheering and, and uh, you know, vying for their, uh, their candidates. Steve Lambert, Canadian Press, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Steve, thank you very much. You're welcome. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it will not be a nightmare on your street after Global News at 9 because we've got a big concert announcement and tickets to give away. So stand by for that. We are also asking you to tell us about a movie that scared you when you were a kid. Now, Shauna qualifies her by hers by saying, I wasn't a kid. I was like 19 or 20. But The Blair Witch Project, watched it at the oh, drive-in, yeah. went home, and I lived in the country. Went to bed and I swore I could hear the piling of rocks, the sound of rocks yeah. touching each other outside my window, oh my. which happens in the movie outside their tents. Of so I was paralyzed with fear, didn't sleep at all that night, <laughs> took a long time to sleep with the windows open again, and I still haven't watched that movie since. Oh, the ending that of that was movie. scary. Yes, the end, the shadowy basement scene, right? Turns. Yeah. But I was going to say that I saw that movie in theater and it was terrifying for sure. But what stands out to me from it as we were leaving the theater and I was in Ottawa at the time, these girls behind us say, I can't believe their parents released that video. I mean, they're dead. And that's so disrespectful. <laughs> for their 
For and how long? Was, for how like for, long did people think that was an actual right. home movie? But come on, man. For two and a half year, hours you sat and thought you were watching real people die? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. I was disappointed in them. And the same... <laughs> The same thing happened at Lion King, the new Lion King, where the animals look so real. Yeah. And someone behind me says, how did they get the animals to do this? <laughs> and I was like, do you think, like, I don't know, I wasn't sure she just meant stand, stand still while they dubbed over the voice. And I was like, this is computer. I didn't even let that one go. I turned around. And I was like, these are computer generated animals, my friend. Shattered their, their, their perception. I don't care. Oh, I was, I'm concerned when I hear people say, I know, I'm a cynical, jaded person, fake animals. Fake movie, deal with it. <laughs> so keep those texts coming on scary <laughs> movies for a chance to win tickets for celebrations, dinner theater at night at the Museum of Rockstars. We'll give those away just at 9.15 right after our Gab with Gabby. But right now, hey, Halloween weekend, which means you're going to see a lot of costumes. But if you're downtown, you are likely to see even more people in costume because this weekend at RBC Convention Center, it's Winnipeg Comic Con. Uh, such an awesome event. And spokesperson Jason Rockman joins us now to just to tell us how this is all going to shake out. Good morning, Jason. Hey, good morning, guys. I love your talk about Blair Witch. I have a very funny Blair Witch story I tell you one day when we're not on air. <laughs> Oh, it's not. Is it not for air? Is that the issue? No, no, no. It's, it's just I got I got roped into seeing the Blair Witch Project in, in Los Angeles. Someone said, "Hey, it's a test screening of a student found film. Would you like to see it before it was released?" So I actually saw it, not knowing that it was oh. a hoax. Oh, <laughs> oh so I, I just literally made fun of you just now. Yeah, you did. You're the, <laughs> but it would it would have been believable. That's different. You got brought in where, where they said student found were, film. I, I was I was part of a test. Yeah, and and it was. Um, I walked out of there and I was terrified. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I bet. Then I felt like a, then I felt like a complete idiot. <laughs> no, no, no. That's different. That's different. By the by, the time it got to big release, people should have known. In your circumstance, yeah. you get a full pass, it, Jason. It, it, okay, thanks. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, so, let's so, let's talk about this weekend because I think, and I'm one of these people. I always thought Comic Con meant that it's all about comment comics and everything right, connected right. to comic books but I, I have learned over the years that's not the case but if you if people don't know that they've never been to this event before what should they be looking for so comic-con is really a celebration of pop culture in in its entirety you know i mean obviously the name comic-con and and it is quite topical you know considering we're what we're coming up to what i think our 24th marvel cinematic universe movie that's coming out you know next week with eternals so it is there there is a lot of stuff that's comic book related but um no comic-con's really just uh, it's uh, there's really something for everyone if you're into pop culture if you're into star trek if you're into star wars if you're into game of thrones if you're into the walking dead if you're into animation um it, it's just a real real fun atmosphere to just kind of let your your pop culture freak flag fly I have to, before I ask this question, express my disappointment that Loren McNabb let a perfect opportunity for a pun walk right out the I door. Did? What well, was it? well, Jason was the victim of a movie con. No, no, okay, not, not feeling that one. All right, Jason, <laughs> tell us what kind of special guests have you got lined up because that's a big part of uh, any Comic Con, no matter where it yeah. takes place, is, is who's coming to see us and who you can get to meet it's uh absolutely one of the most popular parts of any event like this correct well absolutely and you, you got to figure you know look, if you're if you're someone that watched star trek the next generation you spent a lot of years watching you know the, the original run of the show and then watching reruns at night it, you know a guy like john delancey who played q who was such an important character having someone like him 
in Winnipeg, being able to go take a picture with him, get something signed. Those are the things that people really, really enjoy at our Comic-Cons. And uh, we have John Delancey. We've got Laurie Holden, who was in The Walking Dead. She just wrapped up filming season three of The Boys. Um, we've got Billy Boyd, who, of course, everybody knows from Pippin at, in Lord of the Rings. He's one of the hobbits. Um, so we've got some really, really rad guests. If you grew up loving Ren and Stimpy, or if you watched Futurama, Billy West did all the voices in those shows. He's going to be with us. Um, so it's just the opportunity to meet some of those people that a lot of people get excited about. And I see, just looking at your your bio here, Jason, you've gotten to meet some pretty cool people over the years through your music, working with the likes of Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC and Chuck yeah, D yeah. from Public Enemy, and then all the way to guys like Ozzy Osbourne. So how did that come all, all come about? Well, you know, it, it's really funny because when people said, oh, you're coming to Winnipeg for Comic-Con, I was like, yeah, is the Royal Albert still there? Because I remember mm. coming through here in the uh, in the 90s, and we'd play a couple of di- You know, my, I played in a band called Slaves on Dope, and we used to play the Royal Albert on the way out to Vancouver always and on the way back. So I remember being in Winnipeg a lot in the, you know, in the mid to, to late 90s before my band moved to Los Angeles, and we ended up getting signed up to Ozzy Osbourne's record label. We did OzFest. So I've gotten to do a lot of stuff in music, and then I work in radio in Montreal. I work at, uh, at a rock station. So I'm really immersed in pop culture. I'm always interviewing music. Musicians. I've been around a lot of musicians. Um, I, you know, I do a lot of press junkets where I talk to a lot of stars from film. So I'm kind of immersed in that. So when they wanted to talk to somebody, you know, have somebody represent the cons that kind of knew what was going on in pop culture, I guess I was a, a good fit because I've been around that stuff. So yeah, I mean, I have a lot of experience with with uh, with working with a lot of really really rad musicians like you know like Daryl McDaniels and 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 Chuck D from Public Enemy. We did a track a few years back. So. I, I guess I'm, I'm the right guy. I fit, you know. <laughs> I, I like all this stuff, and I'm kind of immersed in it. So, yeah. I'm about to take this off the rails. I apologize. So you're your rock. Please do. <laughs> you play music. You're a musician. You work at a rock station. Yeah. Is your last name actually Rockman? It, it really, it really is. It's, it's my, it's my real, Come real on. name. Like, yeah. When my, gra- I mean, like a lot of immigrants. When my grandfather came here um, from Russia and. I guess the 1920s, whatever his name sounded like when he got off the boat, that's what they, you know, that's what they gave him. So it might have been something like Hochman or who knows, and they just said Rockman. So yeah, I guess I was destined. It's a much, it's a much sexier option than going into the family trucking business. That's for sure. <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld always talks about when you name your kid Jeeves, you've sort of laid out his his life plan and, and what he's <laughs> yeah. going to do for a living. So here you are as a rock man. And uh, so in terms of Winnipeg and the Royal Albert, by the way, if Brett looks out the window and looks straight down thirty floors, it's right there. We get to see it every single morning when we come to work, and it's it's certainly nice. uh, a shadow of its former self and and hasn't had any live events there in a long long time but in terms of popular culture and we were talking about phantom of the paradise earlier uh jason Mm. how it was so popular here in winnipeg and one of our listeners uh, reminded me that paris france and winnipeg were like the two places that that movie uh did extremely well does winnipeg have a have a different feeling culturally versus uh some of the other cities that that you work in uh whether it was in the music business in the past or, or as you're putting together these comic cons well, what I find with, with people in Winnipeg, they're really passionate about what they like. Um, last night, we went out to dinner with a lot of people that are on the ground here, on, uh, you know, that are part of our team. Because, you know, our events, we have done do our events in a lot of different areas in Canada. So we've got a, a small nucleus of a team that lives in Montreal. Some of us live in Ottawa. So we all travel to Winnipeg, and we needed 
people here. So we've, we've listed a lot of people on the ground here to help us out. We all went out for a team dinner last night. And I found that, you know, the people from here were super excited that there was, A, there was an event coming again, and B, that they were a part of it. So I've always felt that, you know, every time I've, I've come here with music and now that I'm coming here as a rep for a con, um, there's a passion here. There's people that are really hungry for it. And I think, you know, we're all Canadians, right? So uh, I'm from Montreal. We, we deal with winter. <laughs> and when winter comes, a lot of stuff just gets... You know, I mean, we do stuff outside, but a lot of stuff, you know, we hibernate for a while and there's not a lot of stuff going on. And sometimes you just don't even want to go outside. So I find in, in the months that there are things that are going on, and it's probably the case here in Manitoba as well. You want to go out, you want to participate, and you want to be you want to be there. So I just just noticed that there was a, you know, a general excitement and enthusiasm for the event. Jason Rockman is a spokesperson for Winnipeg Comic Con, which is on this weekend at RBC Convention Center. Jason, thank you very much for this. This was great. Thank you, and I, re- I really, really appreciate the support. We're, we're very excited for the event. And we hope you have fun, because these Comic-Cons, Greg and Loren, like the, the last one I went to, the co- just the costumes alone. Yes. The work that people put into their costumes is insane. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Saw, but, you know, the little puppet guy that rides out on the oh, tricycle? Saw. Yeah, that I should have named that one as the worst, scariest ever. Oh, yeah, no, that so, one's awful. So yeah. there was a guy driving around, or driving around, he was, was riding right. a, a tri- <gasps> that tricycle with that mask, oh, a, so like a life-size version of it, and he's just creepily <laughs> riding around the convention <laughs> center, and everybody's taking pictures, and I just thought, I... Uh, Greg, it goes back to our pumpkin. I just do not have a creative bone in my body when it comes to that kind of stuff. Well, and when you compare it to how some people are able and willing to go all out, it's mind-blowing. We've had stormtroopers in the studio. We had, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the studio over the years and some of the incredible role and cosplay that takes place. Uh, My hat goes off to anybody that just immerses himself in this stuff. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Big concert announcement coming up in just moments. And if you know the song, then you know the announcement already. But I do have a couple of things just out to mention. A correction first. Just before Global News, I said that Heather Stephenson was going to be on the news with Richard and Julie at 3.30 this afternoon, 3.35. That was actually on Tuesday. We have this calendar, and in today's calendar, there mm-hmm. is a thing that says PC Leadership Preview. And I see the news, Heather Stephenson, 335. Okay, I should promo that. Uh, I failed to look at the date associated with that. I, it's in today's, on today's date, but the item is, anyway. I'm That'll getting, learn you for being a team player, McGarry. Just wanted to, to let you know that I can't read, apparently. So there's that. But I can read the question of the day at cjob.com for credit aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. What's your favorite part of Halloween? Candy, scary movies, jack-o'-lanterns, and decorations? Or costumes? Cast your vote, cjob.com. But Forte, just turn it up again for a second here. Mackling, who is this? It's the offspring coming to Winnipeg. Oh, I love this. Look at the date on this. Loren is... Soon. It's a, you could do it for Valentine's Day if you really wanted to. <laughs> Why wouldn't February you? February 14th, next year, Offspring with special guest Simple Plan will be at the Canada Life Centre. Tickets go on sale next week, November 5th. This is a very real concert announcement as we resume our new normal post-hopefully COVID 
Last time Offspring was here, they put on a wicked show. Yeah. Uh, so this will be great. So we have tickets to give away today. We will give those away at 9.45. So you got to wait for your cue to call for that. So that's awesome. Offspring, simple plan. February 14th, 2022. Canada Life Center. Woo! They're my favorite band. So Are they really? Yeah. So this oh, wow. is like a Foo Fighters for you, Brett. Yeah, this is uh, this is pretty exciting. Right I've, on. I've loved the Offspring for since like 1994. So very exciting times, and also exciting, Greg, because it's Friday at nine, just after nine o'clock. What does that mean? It's our Gab with Gabby, our, our our weekly get together with Gabrielle Marchand, and and Gabby, you and I had an interesting interaction <laughs> in the hallways yesterday. We did. Always do we have interesting interactions, but this one was peak Gab, I would say. Oh, I'll, I'll let our listeners be the judge of that. So Lulu. Lemon, of course, has been in the headlines all week because of their uh, support and their supplying the Olympic uniforms and Olympic clothing for Team Canada. And some people have had some interesting takes on that. So yesterday we're walking uh, through the office. You're off the air. I, I'm making my way back to, to do the last hour of the show. And I'm, I'm looking at your outfit and I'm noticing something interesting about your pants. And I'm thinking, <laughs> those are Lululemon pants, but are the pockets on the outside <laughs> of the pants? They were indeed. I, I changed after the show and I uh, put my pants on inside out and was just walking around <laughs> casually with my pants inside out. So, Oh, I thought this was like a style that I just didn't know about. No, 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 no. Just a mess at life being a mess at life. It's okay, though. He told me before I went outside and saw too many people, thankfully. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's wonderful, Gabby. You're the best. Okay, so we're talking um, movies that scared us when we were kids. So which one scared you? Well, I was telling Brett this morning, The Last Unicorn, if anyone's familiar, it's a movie, a cartoon from the 80s. Uh, a lot of people in it, Mia Farrow, Jeff Bridges, very creepy animation. And the premise is that unicorns are being herded off into this dark castle and then cast out into the sea by this devil-like bull. <laughs> it's, it's extreme, but it's really creepy as a kid. I remember being, feeling very disturbed by it. We had a few people text in some cartoons. We had somebody say the the watership down freaked them out. The secret of Nim. Oh, I don't know if you remember that. Yes. Um, that scared it creeped me out when I was a kid. But when I finally rewatched it as an adult, I was very disappointed in it. Oh, that's so. That's sad. So sometimes you don't want to revisit the things you watched when you were a kid. Uh, okay, so the last unicorn. All right. You also didn't like. Uh, was it Little Nemo? Little Nemo, not to be confused with Finding Nemo, because that's a that's a delightful movie that's not remotely scary. Little Nemo, another creepy cartoon from the eighties. What was with the eighties and creepy cartoons, everyone? I can't help you there. I have no idea. I think they were just uh, trying to uh, find their way. I don't know. I have no excuse for the eighties for a be, lot of stuff. Let's be clear though. Like most cartoons are kind of like the major movies are sad all the parents someone's parent always is dead whether you're a lion or a monkey or like a princess and then someone else tries to kill you off there's always an evil witch like it's not they're they're not wholesome i mean there's a wholesome message maybe at the end but it really starts off quite dark boy oh boy i'm not gonna ever watch a disney movie the same name again i hadn't I noticed I this loren i can't name one where yeah. it doesn't 
there, there isn't you're trying to redeem someone because someone has died. That's true. One or both of the parents are, are dead, right? right? Well, and even di- the stories that Disney tells, all these fairy tales, they're all Disneyfied versions of these stories, which actually they, they, in their original form we're are very way, dark. yeah, way worse. Oh. So anyway, we're off the rails. We're like Super took this dark. out of a fun zone. Let's get back to a fun zone. <laughs> Alarm clock nonsense, Gabby. Constantly. I'm sure you guys are familiar with this. I mean, we all wake up at an ungodly hour, but setting so many alarms. I have two phones. I have the cracked screen phone and the regular phone, and both of them have multiple alarms because I don't want to risk not waking up. But I don't use an old school alarm clock. Do any of you use a regular alarm clock as well? Yep. Really? No. No. I have to because my fo- there was one time where uh, my phone was my alarm, and I woke up when I was supposed to be filling in for Jeff Braun on the news, like doing the morning news run, and there was daylight. So I knew no. that I had slept in. And I grabbed my phone, and the screen was frozen. <gasps> the phone was just frozen. So I had to actually pull the battery out. Thankfully, I was able to do that on that particular phone. Uh, so after work that day, I went and bought an alarm clock. So I have an alarm clock and my phone as backup. So... Yeah, but you've got two phones, so you've got a backup. But I, I get that. If technology fails, or you have a, a different form. Greg, two phones? One, one phone? phone. I'm way too trusting of uh, the Steve Jobs. Let's put it that way. Um, and before we go, uh, name blunders. You say that uh, you were talking about this this week. You know what? And I do it myself. I have. I used to have an Abby on our show. She's gone to the 6 o'clock news now. Abby and Gabby, though. I'd call her sometimes when we're hosting together, Gabby. I'd call myself Abby. And then everybody calls me Abby. And finally, I set my foot down this week. Maybe I'm being kind of crusty. But when people call me Abby, I've actually started correcting them. Casually. I'll just be like, it's Gabby. You know? Just by the way. People in the office? Yeah. People in the office call me Abby all the time. No. All the time. That's not right. Come on. Not accidentally. Like they don't know your name, you think? No. They're just mixing it up. They definitely. I hope my coworkers that I work with 40 hours a week know my name. But But how can they make that mistake? They'll say Abby. And then. Yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm setting my foot down. I am Gabby with. It's Abby with a G, everyone. Just add that first letter in. Okay. Yeah. That is. That's just silly. Like, how, how could they get that and make that mistake? Well, I mean, they sound the exact same, so okay. I do Well, we got to get out for it, Jay. Let's hear some music. But Gabrielle Marchand is the host of Global News Morning weekdays from 6 until 9. And every Friday, we have a gab with Gabby. Gabrielle Marchand. You guys have a great day. Happy Friday. <laughs> Mackling McGarry McNabb, what movies scared you when you were a kid? Celebrations, dinner, theater tickets up for grabs. Greg, you're going to read the winner. Lorenz got a good one from David. And I'm going to start us up with George in Arizona, who says, When Amityville Horror was being shown, I had read the book, which scared me. After watching the movie with my brother, I actually woke up at 3.15, which is an important time in the movie. So I told my brother about that. The next night, I again woke up around 3.15, and I happened to look at my window, and I saw two red eyes staring at me. Well, of course, I screamed. I woke up my parents, my brother, who had placed the growing red eyes on the window after I was asleep. He was laughing hysterically. My parents tried to be angry, but they actually joined my brother, laughing at my expense. Amazing what your brain will do to you. George, great story. That's funny stuff. Yeah, All right, good. so sorry, I was just trying to re- decide if I'm gonna like. Do you do we assume most people have seen Carrie? Am I gonna give a spoiler if I explain the end of the film? Uh, I think the I, I think the statute of limitations on a movie off, that's right? over forty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, good. That's what I figured. But just so people to remember, I think at the very end, her hand reaches out right from the 
ground? Is that what happens at the very end? Oh, I can't remember. That's what I'm trying to remember. Okay, that's what I was Googling while you guys were talking. I'm sorry. So now this just all seems like nonsense I'm saying. But David says, <laughs> when I was five or six, my parents let me watch Carrie. The scene at the end scared the bejesus out of me. Then to top it off, at some point in the night after I went to bed, my parents decided to put a fake arm and hand under my pillow. <laughs> you can guess how I woke up. Many question marks. And I'm, I'm thinking there was this hand scene. That's why I was trying to figure that out for Carrie. I like it because his parents clearly are diabolical and I kind of <laughs> dig that. Are you going to take some notes here, McNabb? Or are you going to go down the same path? I just think that's hilarious. Well, hey, my mom laughed at me after pranking me, and and Cam was talking about how his family was messing with him um, with the, making the Freddy Krueger sounds. But it's funny, David sends us a text about the movie Carrie. Greg, our winner is Carrie. Well, we love puns and segues in this business, so it works out perfectly. I don't like scary movies, says Carrie. Never have. My son was about eight years old, and his dad let him watch Halloween for years after. For years, I had to move the sofa in front of the door every night. And he slept with a couple of knives in his room. Sorry. I also had to have a phone. This is before cell phones in his room so he could call for help. Have a fantastic Halloween. Uh, signed, Carrie, not from the movie. She says, I'm much nicer. <laughs> Carrie. And a hell of a mom, too. <laughs> no kidding. Put up with that for years. Carrie, you win celebrations, dinner, theater tickets for night at the Museum of Rock Stars. Mackling McGarry and McNabb as we head into Halloween weekend. It wouldn't be Halloween. Greg, without checking in with one of our favorite authors, who just so happens to have released a new book this week. Well, you might have to imagine there's some good marketing involved here. The book is called <laughs> The Restoration. The official launch is tomorrow at another one of our favorite places here in the city of Winnipeg, Dalnavert Museum, and on November 5th. Another one of our favorite places. It's just a trifecta here at my McNally Robinson. The writer is J.H. Moncrief. J.H. Moncrief joins us now. How are you this morning? I'm great. How are you two? We're always well, okay. and uh, thanks for taking some time. Loren's here with us, of course, and you're oh, an, good. Yeah, you're an expert on all things spooky. Some of the stories you've told us over the years uh, has still gets my blood sort of curdling. Can you tell us a little bit about the origin of Halloween before we learn a little bit more about your new book? Uh, sure. Well, Halloween is actually an old, old tradition that was a Celtic holiday back in the day. And what we celebrate now is when the church started wanting to discourage pagans from these old festivals and these fertility festivals and so on, they decided that Halloween should be Hallow Mass. It should be a festival celebrating the saints. Uh, but in order to keep the popularity, some of the old traditions like uh, exchanging food, honoring the dead, uh, dressing up in costume, they remained. Uh, so we have right now what we ha what we celebrate is sort of this combination of a very old Celtic pagan festival and a church's stamp on it, if that makes sense. So where does the costume element fit in now? I mean, obviously it evolves over years like so many things, but at one point there was the, maybe more of a belief in the spirits and then it did it evolve into dressing like them and then from there on, you know, sexy pumpkins <laughs> and sexy pineapples? Exactly. So 
Uh, basically, back in the day, what happened was uh, they believed that the veil between the living and the dead was at its thinnest on Halloween night. So people would dress up as spirits to scare spirits away. That's also why they carved jack-o'-lanterns. The idea was that it would scare spirits away, these scary-looking pumpkins and gourds and other things. Uh, but over time, when, when the holiday came to the States, that's when we start to see things change and become more commercialized. Well, and I'm, Loren, I'm glad you mentioned the sexy thing because, uh, you know, over the years, that's become such a huge trend where almost every costume that's made for women is sexy this or sexy that, uh, sexy fence, for example. So what is, what is your take, J.H., on that trend? Well, I think if, if women want to dress sexy, that's totally their prerogative. Uh, I think it gets into sort of a dangerous spot when we see these sexy costumes being made for young girls, like very young. There's been outcries about that where, you know, even five-year-olds, seven-year-olds, ten-year-olds are being marketed sexy costumes. That's when I think a line needs to be drawn. But, I mean, if a grown woman decides she wants to be a sexy cop, well, more more power to her. I think that's very well put. So, J.H., uh, we understand your new book, and we love local connections. The Restoration was actually inspired by a paranormal experience you had at Dalnavert Museum. Tell us about that. <laughs> uh, hopefully I don't give anyone nightmares. So Ooh. I was chosen to stay overnight at Dalnavert House as part of Thin Air, and we were given full reign of the museum. All the ropes came down, and we didn't really have any chaperones, which I found amazing. And we were allowed to write wherever we wanted. So I wrote in Jack's room. He was the son who died, and he died in that room. I was writing, I was sitting on the floor by a closet. I got up, left my laptop on the floor, and went to look out the window. And as soon as my back was turned, bam, the closet door slammed open into my laptop. I first I texted my mother to tell her what happened and her response was, well, didn't you want that to happen? <laughs> I said, no. Uh, so then I went and looked in the closet. There was no one in the closet. I tried to like see if the door could be partially closed. It wouldn't. It either was all the way open or all the way shut. Uh, we walked and when the other writers came in because they heard the noise and thought something had happened to me. We walked back and forth to the window trying to see if the door would pop back open. Uh, it didn't happen. We couldn't recreate it. So, someone okay, didn't then. want you doing what you're doing. That would be, you know, he did not want you in there, or didn't want you writing the book, would be my guess. You know, I would have thought that too, except I didn't feel anything negative in there. Okay. I continued to write in there for the rest of the night until about 4 a.m., and the only difference was it was freezing in there. And I didn't notice this until the other writers came in and they commented how cold it was in there. And then as the night went on, it got colder and colder and colder until I couldn't even flex my fingers anymore and that's why I finally went to the attic but uh, I never felt oh you went any... to the attic that seems like a logical choice Just, <laughs> let's go let's go to the attic Jade <laughs> that's where they had us sleeping so <laughs> I didn't get much sleep but <laughs> oh wow so down yeah. the museum is an amazing property I went there a couple of years ago for um, a Halloween theme, they did like a, a Dracula themed night. So even though it's this beautiful building, but it is creepy at night when the lights are out and uh, knowing that there's a, the potential that it could be haunted. So when you went in, even before this experience, did, were you nervous or were you excited? Like, what were you feeling about that? 
I was excited and I also kind of, it's this weird thing when you write about the paranormal. You sort of hope things will happen, but you also aren't really prepared when it does because whenever something like this happens, your body rejects it right away. It's almost like you have this intense terror and then right away your mind goes, nope, that didn't happen. Nope, what's the rational explanation for this? Uh, So I really hoped that something would happen, but I had my doubts. I've been to many haunted places and I've tried Ouija boards and that. Nothing's ever happened. So I didn't necessarily expect something to happen, but I knew that if it would, it would be in Jack's room. So that's why I opted to spend the evening there. So, Jage, is there a line here in terms of skepticism and openness to welcoming spirits into our lives? Because uh, I don't want to give away too much of my personal life here, but I did uh, date a witch for a while. And she was very open about her beliefs. And... um, she warned me, uh, we, had a, we had a later night, and she warned me about this uh, gentleman who regularly came to visit her, in particular if there was more than one person in her condominium. And to say that I slept with one foot on the floor is uh, not an exaggeration. So uh, I didn't have an experience, but it was clear to me that she did on a regular basis. So do you have a take on that in terms of that interaction? And and does it depend on the openness and willingness to, to have that interaction from, quote unquote, the other side, if it, if it indeed exists? I think people definitely have to have an open mind. But one thing I've noticed is when people really don't, when they really don't believe in anything like this, they won't believe it even if it happens to them. I used to live with a fellow who swore that he was open, but also really didn't believe in things. And weird things happened in this house. I mean, it's over 100 years old. And really strange things would happen, and he'd try his best to find an explanation for them. And even though he couldn't find an explanation for them, and it was really bizarre, he still refused to believe that it could possibly be anything other than something scientifically explained. So I find that if you have a really closed mind to it, it doesn't really matter. A ghost could come up to you and tap you on the shoulder and you'd still go, well, it must have been the wind. It must have been, you know, there must have been something in my eye. So you do have to have somewhat of an open mind. But I also think it's good to be a little skeptical as well. You don't want to believe that everything Mm. is the paranormal. Sometimes it's a cat, right? (laughs) You don't want to believe that everything is a ghost, but... Um, yeah, I had I had a moment last week just in the basement, Jage, where I was like uh, working. It's four a.m. I hear this noise, and I'm convinced it's something, you know, not right in my home. Completely forgetting that I have a dog who was just rounding the corner at the top of the stairs, staring at me with his dark eyes. Right, but for fifteen minutes, you know, your mind, your mind wanders, and that's just how we work as humans. But also, it's how I operate when I read. My mind will really get into the book. So. We're talking about your new book, Restoration. What can we expect from this book? Do we go on that kind of journey where we're, we need to be a bit more open? I think so. It's also very much a part of a mystery. It's about a single mother who tries to restore this house with her 10-year-old daughter. She's trying to mend that relationship between them. And she ends up embroiled in this mystery of what had happened in the house and what happened to the family and was someone murdered there? And if so, who murdered them and so forth. So a bit of an open mind, but it's also rooted in reality as far as an actual mystery that's taking place as well. Well, J.H. Moncrief, 
We thank you very much for joining us as we head into Halloween. You know, before before we'll just take a few more seconds here because you mentioned uh, you've got a new series about witches as well, and you say there's some folklore behind the witch's hat. Yes, there is. It's a really interesting story. So how the pointed hat became associated with witches is it was actually worn by ale makers. And back in the day, women made the best ale. Ale was more important than water because you couldn't drink the water. So these women would wear pointed hats so they'd be seen in a crowd and people would know that's where the ale, you could get your ale from. But there were a few gentlemen and and a big company, actually, that decided they wanted to take over this business. So they decided the best way to do this would be to spread a rumor that the ale these women were selling was poisoning people. So, of course, the fact that they were poisoning people, supposedly, brought along the witch tag. And then everyone started to associate these pointed hats with poison and with witches. So that's where it comes from. Oh, wow. Wow. That's cool. I have no idea. You are a volcano of super interesting information, J.H. <laughs> Moncrief. We thank you so much for joining us. Have a happy Halloween. You too. Thank you so much for having me on again. Oh, what time's the launch tomorrow at Dalnavert? It's 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Dalnavert Museum, The Restoration, J.H. Moncrief, and another launch on November 5th at McNally Robinson. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.